Thank you for listening to Hope Fellowship Church in Jaffrey, New Hampshire. We hope you enjoy our journey through the book of Acts, exploring the many powerful actions of Jesus Christ as he continues to move and teach us through his apostles by his Holy Spirit, empowering the explosion of the church to expand from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth, which is you and me right here and right now, where we move from spectators to participants and join with Paul in preaching the gospel with all boldness and without hindrance. Let's now join Pastor Jordan Moody in our new series, Acts, The Movement Begins. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, please visit hopejaffrey.org. Well, let's turn, if you would, to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 13. This is our third message in our new series. Can I still say that? Our brand new series. Uh, It's still... No, it's not September anymore. It's October 1st, people. Um, But it's still fall, and we've started this new series here in Acts as we'll be walking through this series, and we come to this most pivotal chapter, a watershed moment in all of history, in particular the book of Acts and the Christian church. Today's message is without hindrance, without hindrance. Today, I, I want, in some ways is w- what we've already been doing, but I want us to marvel today at God's plan, his plan of redemption that didn't end with the cross and the grave and his resurrection and his ascension, but continues on and extends to us today. To truly marvel at God's power, to today behold his glory and the power of the Holy Spirit in which we just spoke about, which lives in us today, and to recognize that it equips us and empowers us to be the church or as we would say, to be the hands and feet of Jesus, or to be Jesus to the world, as well as to have a renewed love for the church, as has already been expressed, the the ability to come in and sing together. There's something there. There's something unique and special about that. To have a renewed love for the church, that's really, some of these are the main goals for this whole series, but that the universal church is also simultaneously meeting all across the globe right now, around this very day, And that the day that we're specifically looking at history over 2,000 years ago or so, that the day of Pentecost highlights the combustion power of the gospel message, the intention of the Spirit to amplify a gospel message for the globe to be carried in the power of the Spirit through and by the church. And this moment here in Acts 2 as we've been building it up to it is this, like I said, watershed moment, a combustion situation, this fire is lit. So let's read Acts chapter 2 verses 1 through 13. We'll do a little bit of an introduction, then we'll look at the past Pentecost, promised Pentecost, and amplified Pentecost, our three points for today. Look at Acts 2 verse 1, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. It's in Jerusalem here. Suddenly, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And then they raised their hands in worship. Okay, they didn't, but they might have, okay? Verse 5, and there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, And at this sound, the multitude came together. They were bewildered. And because each one was hearing them speak in his own language, 
And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each one of us in his own native language? Verse 9, Parthians, these are different people groups and locations around the known world there around the Mesopotamia, uh, Mediterranean region. It says, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Libya, belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, or those who've converted to, Jeru uh, to uh, Judaism, and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues or languages the mighty works of God. I just, I often would have loved to hear what exactly it was they were saying, but the mighty works of God, the gospel, the truth, the power of God. Verse 12, and all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking them said they're filled with new wine, meaning they're drunk, right? Let us pray. Father, we thank you for these words and these truths. Would you fill us with your spirit today to help us to discern, to understand the truth, to illuminate our eyes to in this enlightenment, to, to understand and to see with new light these truths of what it does for us even today. This isn't some ancient story that has no relevance for today. God, help us to understand, to have your spirit grow within us and give us power to grasp these truths in life-changing work of the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, we began this message of the waiting room in Acts 1, and this message entitled that waiting room concept, and we looked at the beginning, if you remember, we looked at, as an opening introduction, with a, we, we glanced at this kind of empty worldview, which is pervasive today, but especially uh, in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, but this glance at this empty worldview that's presented from a branch of philosophy called absurdism. Do you remember that? The absurdist writers and literature and that was written around that time, being studied during that time, writers like Franz Kafka, Albert Camus, and Samuel Beckett. And again, we said, if you don't know who those are, it doesn't matter. It's the concepts we're trying to pull out today for you. But we, we talked about it according to their philosophy. You know, you ultimately find yourselves in this waiting room of life with no hope of getting out. There's no hope of anyone getting in. And there's no reason that you find yourselves in there. You just are there. There's no meaning to life. There's no outside force. There's no transcendent being. And no heaven above or no hell beneath. The absurdist claim of life and the writings of that day, which still reach and their tentacles reach into the modern culture that we find ourselves in today. The absurdist claim in life is that there's no connection between really anything in life. Life is random. It's chance. It's absurd to claim that there is meaning or purpose or providence. The reason to enjoy life the, is to simply just accept the fact that there is no reason to enjoy life. Just enjoy what there is because there is nothing more. This is written about by Albert Camus in his novel, his most famous Nobel Prize winning novel called The Stranger. It was first published in 1942 and at first glance the plot seems to comprise of, frankly, a sequence of random events in the life of the protagonist. Camus is using his protagonist to claim this accepting idea that the universe is devoid of order and reason, and the only way to be happy and free is to accept that fact. 
So the book, The Stranger, follows this main character who goes through a variety of life's events. He attends his mother's funeral. He doesn't feel anything. All he can think about is that he's hungry. Uh, eventually, he commits a murder and doesn't know why and doesn't seem it, that it's connected in a variety of things. And the whole point is that he feels strange no matter what situation he is because everyone else around him seems to see that there are laws and rules and a God above in certain things. And he says, I feel a stranger to all of these things. There seems to be something, nothing, there seems to be nothing when everyone else thinks that there is something. He feels strange in a waiting room of life, not suspecting or expecting that anything will happen. But that was very different than last week, than what we found in Acts chapter 1. We find these believers in Acts 1 in the upper room, expecting with expectant hope for something powerful to happen. Jesus has ascended, and he told them, you. Go to the upper room and wait because something extraordinary is about to happen. You will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You will receive power when my Holy Spirit comes upon you. These things that he says in Acts 1. And so they are there praying. They are expectant. They believe that there is a purpose in this. There is a plan and there is power. And yet if we admit today, there are times if we honestly admit and speak that the Holy Spirit, this power that is spoken of, and even the events that we see in Acts can feel to us kind of like a stranger sometimes. <laughs> the Holy Spirit can feel a little strange <laughs> at times. Doesn't seem to fit into all the different categories that we like, or he doesn't always seem to kind of fit the nice, neat little boxes that we enjoy. 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen says, for we were all baptized into one spirit, as so as to form one body, whether Jew or Gentile, slave or free, right? We are all the same here. And we were all given one spirit to drink of, this one spirit that's poured on all of believers. The Holy Spirit is part of God's plan. It is his design. It's his idea. The Holy Spirit is part of the script. Wasn't this kind of like, what do I do now? Jesus has died. He's risen and ascended. What do we do? This was part of the plan. We might be in part three of the drama that's unfolding. We might be towards the end of the unfolding gospel theater. But we do find ourselves in this place, in this realm of the church, in the Holy Spirit. It's not a mistake that Jesus ascends and then sends his spirit. It's not a mistake. The Holy Spirit, though, at times may feel like a stranger to us because it is a spirit. Spirit, he is a spirit, this Holy Spirit. It is more spiritual in some sense. And so rather, this Holy Spirit is the sense of that we are temples of this Spirit. Our, our bodies, our place now, this church is now a temple of the Spirit. And we are set afire, set ablaze by the power of the Spirit that continues to equip us to spread the message of Jesus to the end of the earth. And then transforms us to be Christ-like carriers of, as C.S. Lewis says, this good infection that we share. And we spread to others. Right? And so this day has long been foretold, this day of Pentecost. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. Yes, Jesus came at Christmas. He dies at Passover and Easter. And then we celebrate the ascension. And then it's like, what now? Well, what now is that the power of the Spirit will come. And this gospel message, as J.I. Packer says, this gospel message of the Spirit that has come did not come by accident but was planned by God. He gave the disciples different languages through the Spirit so that no nation would miss out on their teaching. This wasn't just for Jerusalem, it was just for the world. Matthew 28, what does Jesus say when he leaves? Jesus says to the disciples, the apostles now, he says, therefore go, you, 
make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. How is that possible when Jesus ascends? Because he sends his spirit to be with them. I am with you. Now the church of Christ was born as we sing, and the spirit lit the flame. And this gospel truth of old, it shall not kneel and it shall not faint. Right? And so, what I want us to do is look quickly at this past Pentecost and look at kind of where we get to this point in Acts 2. It's always important when you're reading the New Testament to consider the Old Testament applications. How is it that the Old Testament sets up and prepares us for the fulfillment of what we see in the New? That the Old Testament has so many different illusions and images that, that enrich our understanding of what we see and read in the New. And so in Acts 2, this day of Pentecost, some of you may be familiar with what that is, and some of you may be just saying, what is Pentecost? Or today as it's known, or maybe familiar with, is more Pentecostalism or whatever. But really, all of the church shares in Pentecost. Whether it's emphasized or overemphasized or underemphasized, we share this Pentecost together as the Christian church. And so we see in Pentecost, and it goes way back. It goes back to my favorite book in the Bible, Leviticus, right? I love just picking up Leviticus and reading through it. Now, Leviticus is the God's word. Maybe not my favorite book, but it is, it's, it's amazing to find so many of these things that are backed up in the law that's set out in Leviticus that we find fulfilled in the New Testament. Leviticus 23, 16 says about Pentecost, that you shall count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. And you shall present a grain offering of new grain to the Lord. This 50 days or um, seven weeks plus one, this concept is that when you present this grain offering, it's like a harvest celebration, almost like kind of our Thanksgiving, a, a harvest theme of bringing in the sheaves. Uh, today, this word, uh, Hebrew word for weeks is Shavuot. Uh, sometimes it's even known as that, the Feast of Shavuot or the Feast of first fruits and Weeks. But this is the idea of seven weeks from Passover, you get to Pentecost. So it's Passover to Pentecost. There are 50 days in between. So Passover marked the beginning of this feast and celebration and a harvest time. But Shavuot, this time of Pentecost, also has double significance. Not only is it an agricultural kind of gleaning and harvest taking in, but it was also spiritual in the sense that agriculturally, yes, it marked the important wheat harvest, but spiritually it commemorated a special anniversary. A special anniversary, which was the day when God gave the Torah, the law, to the nation of Israel assembled at Mount Sinai. Although the association might not be explicit in the biblical text, but in the giving and Christian tradition and in Judaism, this is the time in which Shavuot is celebrated. Celebrating both the liberation, the exodus, uh, on the 10th on the plague there, the death angel passes over the houses that have been marked with the lamb's blood. They are preserved, protected, and they are alive. The Passover of the death angel then they would celebrate that Passover with a meal each year. Jesus then institutes the Lord's Supper in the New Testament, and it's in that Passover period, that week, when Jesus takes the cross, and then he rises again. It's this extremely momentous occasion. So it's in Passover that we see the cross and the resurrection, 
But it's also in this new, the revelation, this new giving of the law, a celebration when Moses went up to the mountain and comes down with stone tablets of law, codifying this new people of Israel into now a new nation. With God as their king, he will now lead them into a place where they will be a people. He will be their God and their king. They will be his people under his law and his way. And so it's that, many would say, is like this birthday of the people of Israel. Now we have a birthday of the church in Acts chapter 2. The birthday of the church now represents this, instead of this, this God coming down and dispensing his law, no longer on stone tablets, but written on our hearts. It's a new birthday of the church, and, and it's a specific birthday in the sense that in these, this massive birthday cake out there, and there's all these candles lit, and instead of on the birthday of the church, instead of blowing out all the candles, he takes the lighter fluid and just... <laughs> right, and fires it up, and it's at the birthday of the church, instead of blowing him out, he lights it on fire even more, and those candles burn the whole place down in some way, lights it up, and they go out from there. That's really the picture that we see in Pentecost. Pentecost ushers in this new expansion of the Holy Spirit, not exactly that the Spirit did not exist or was not active as a creative force from the beginning till now, but that there is a greater opening of it. The water from the dam was trickling out, but now the dam has burst. And now the water that was there is now in greater fullness now. So the Holy Spirit's been active from the beginning. We see, in fact, the first page of the Bible, the Spirit is mentioned. The Ruach, the word is, we've looked at this in the past, the Hebrew word Ruach is spirit or breath. It can be even likened to a wind. And it's the spirit that blows. It says in Genesis 1-2, the spirit hovered over the waters. And, and then it speaks of God who um, breathes into mankind the breath of life. It's this breath, this spirit, this life force that we see and we are made to connect with the creative power of the world but also the very life within us is because God's spirit is with us but not now only in life, but also in spiritual life as his pneuma in the New Testament, pneumatology, the study of the Holy Spirit. That pneuma, that ruach, that wind, that spirit is now with us and in us, empowering us. In the Old Testament, there was a variety of people who were empowered for specific tasks. In fact, Bezalel and others were tasked to craft furniture for the temple and the tabernacle and to be artisans. It says they were filled with the spirit to create and to make furniture. It's amazing. King David was indwelt and empowered for tasks here. It speaks of Moses being filled with the spirit. And Moses himself though mentions to us in Numbers 11. He says that Yes, I have been filled with the Spirit. You 70 elders have been filled with the Spirit. But he says this, Moses said to him, are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his Spirit on all of them. It is as if he says and knows as if there is something more expansive that will come. For now it is here and it is with us, but there is a day and a time that is promised that it is coming in its fullness, right? And so that's what we see, that it is a past Pentecost leading us to this concept of this promised Pentecost that's still to come. The past Pentecost leads us to this promise that will be fulfilled. So we see that in the books of Joel and Ezekiel. Next week, we'll look at Peter's sermon. He actually quotes from Joel. 
He quotes the Old Testament to verify what's just happened in the New. What just happened in Acts 2. And he quotes from Joel 2.28. He says, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons, your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. And your young men shall have visions. This is the sense of everyone even including the male and the female servants. On those days, everyone, I will pour out my spirit on all of them, not just the Moseses and the Davids, but everyone. Peter preaches this sermon, and then in a sense, in Acts 2.21, he gives this most famous statement, which now has a greater implication in its fullness, because he says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now in this greater way, not only is this saved, but now everyone shall receive the filling of God's spirit in this baptism and so, later on in Ezekiel, you also see a book in Ezekiel chapter 36 and 37 where this concept of the Spirit is fleshed out. Ezekiel 36, I believe we read it earlier, it says, I will cleanse you and give you a new heart. I will put my Spirit within you. And then it says, I will gather you from the countries. I will bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you. I will remove your heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh. Second Corinthians reminds us of this idea when it harkens back to these concepts. Second Corinthians 3.3 3 says, and you, sh- and, and you show that you are, you are a letter from Christ delivered to us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of the human heart. No longer is this codified in law in tablets of stone. This law, this new covenant, this life in the spirit, this spirit-filled reality is now written on the very flesh of your heart. It's with you now. It's in Christ. As I said earlier, the miracle of Christianity, this very life that we have today and we experience is in us. That was 2 Corinthians 3. These tablets of stone versus tablets of human hearts as the spirit is poured out. right? And then in Ezekiel 37, I'll just summarize briefly for time, but in Ezekiel 37 is this extraordinary story that we know the valley of dry bones. Perhaps you grew up in Sunday school and you learned that story of the valley of dry bones. There's this great valley and God takes Ezekiel out there and says, son of man, can these bones live? And he's like, this is a valley of dead man's bones. They can't live. Can, do you believe, right, there are these dry bones can actually stand up and have life and sinews and flesh upon them and be an army? No, this is ridiculous. And then he says, prophesy over them in Ezekiel 37, speak over them. And then it says, breathe on them. And that same word, ruach, spirit, wind, breath, he breathes over these dry bones. And the dry bones, literally, it says that there is a sound. There is a rattling, a sound of a wind right? This storm comes in from the four corners of the earth and it presses in on this place. This breath and wind comes, a storm shakes the place. It says there's a rattling of the bones. It's almost like some kind of horror movie or something, but there's this rattling of the bones and then they begin to be enveloped and wrapped up in flesh and sinews. They stand up and speak over them. They breathe in this breath of life and they are now living. And it says now then an army is presented there. And there's many allusions to this concept, but one simply alone is that it does reflect what is going on in Acts chapter 2. The same kinds of noises in Acts 2, verse 2, it says, suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty wind, and it filled the entire house. 
and the Spirit is poured out, and there was this almost rattling, right, where they're now filled with the Spirit. So in Acts 2, we see this new life coming within the believers there. We also see this, this sound. They hear a sound. The sound is a sound as of a wind, right? And then they were filled with the Spirit. Then they receive a sight. They see something. So there's a sound, and then they see something. The sight is what? What do they see? They see fire. They see fire. Fire as is, and we all feel for Luke here, I think. Luke, the author of Acts, he's trying to, he's trying to put into words what it is he's experienced and seen and others have felt. And he says, it's as if, he says, these are divided tongues, flickering tongues in a sense of as of fire, like, like I think, appeared to them, rested on each one of them. Then they were filled with the Spirit. Then they spoke in different languages and gave utterance. Like, this is an extraordinary picture. This is the expansion, the explosion of the Spirit that is in the New Testament here unparalleled. Pentecost kicks open the floodgates. The dams burst. It's the nitro, the lighter fluid, whatever you want to call it. The forest is ablaze now. It's being spread in ways that it hadn't done before. It's the gathering event of all of these nations in one location to spread this good infection to everyone who would come in contact with it. It's the power of Jesus Christ expanded beyond the apostles to all who would believe, to all who would be saved and filled with his spirit. This is the amplified Pentecost. This is kind of our final point that we'll be looking at today. This amplified Pentecost. The spirit is amplifying the message like a mighty sound wave reverberating across the globe. It's like a sound wave, the, the massive speakers and subs that would speak out, right? Now this is being reverberated in progression across the globe. And it's these tongues of fire that are appearing. Everyone's hearing people speak in their own languages. This fire is fascinating, though. Again, if we were to look back at the Old Testament and see the variety of illusions and illustrations that lead us to see fire, fire so often represented God's presence. Moses and the burning bush is probably one of the most prime examples. There's a burning bush, not consuming the bush, but speaking from that bush, there was a power, and it was God and his voice. Israel was led out of Egypt uh, from Exodus by a burning pillar of fire at night and a smoke cloud during the day. Elisha prays in 2 Kings 6, and he asks for the eyes of the people who are in fear to be opened, because then they picture and see the mountains filled with chariots of fire. That there is a fire. There is on Mount Sinai, on top, this mighty storm enveloping the top of Mount Sinai, representing God's presence. And it is said as if there was fire and smoke from top of the mountain. Similar events like this take place, but probably the most important illustration of the Old Testament to grasp with fire is the very tabernacle and temple itself. The fire was to be constantly burning at the altar and in the, and in the tabernacle and in the temple. Fire representing that God would pour down fire from above and consume these altars. But now God actually began this fire that was to be continuously burning in the temple day and night. That the fire would burn representing the presence of God. The smoke that would come up, this incense that would be burning would represent God being among his people and his presence being there. 
then Jesus says ultimately in the New Testament, this great temple that you all go to with the burning fire, I'm going to tear that down. In three days, I'm going to rebuild it. And everybody laughs at him like, what are you talking about? This thing took forever to build. You're going to tear this temple down in three days, you're going to rebuild it? Yeah, I'm going to die, I'm going to resurrect, and then my spirit's going to come. And now my temple is no longer here in Jerusalem or even in Samaria. It's in the entire globe that any believer who would come to me will now be filled with the fire of the Holy Ghost. And they will now be a new temple. And they will be a mobile temple. 1 Corinthians 3, 16. Do you not know that you are God's temple and God's spirit dwells in you? 1 Corinthians 6. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Who have you received from God? You're not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God with your body, for his spirit is in you. The fire, the spirit of God is not just flickering now at the temple in Jerusalem. You don't have to go make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. Did you know that? You can come here to Jaffrey. It's a lot closer than Jerusalem. And you can come here to Jaffrey and you can receive the spirit. You can believe in Jesus and be baptized and then be filled with him as you go. This is the beauty of the, the mobile gospel, if I could say. Food trucks are kind of a big thing these days, it seems. Everybody thinks it's cool, right? But if you had like the best restaurant in the world, and this best restaurant, everybody came from all over the globe to go to this restaurant. But what if this best restaurant and this amazing food that everybody wanted to go get, they just had to get their hands on it. What if that best restaurant, all of a sudden started hiring different food trucks to go out from that place and bring that the most amazing food, whatever. It'd be southern barbecue food for me. The most amazing, dripping, beautiful barbecue. And it would take that and it would put it on a truck and send it off to the ends of the earth so that little barbecue could then reach me and my stomach here in Jaffrey, right? I know this is a ridiculous illustration and I'm stretching. But the idea of this mobile trucks, these mobile gospel, taking this message driving it across the globe and bringing it to places where people could never have the chance to travel to Jerusalem and hear about this temple. But now this spirit can be delivered to them. And this is the location in which it explodes. This is the restaurant sending out the mobile food trucks all over the globe to places like Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Egypt, Libya, all places around the globe. You could say also quickly for time that this event, the Pentecost, also represents a reversal of Babel, the Tower of Babel, where mankind thought to build a temple up to God to be able to reach heaven so that he didn't have to come down to us. God then confused their languages and splintered the groups so that they would fulfill the original command to have dominion over the earth, but to be fruitful and multiply. We were disobeying that command and said, we want to stay here. We're going to build a temple up to you because we don't need you. And so God said, I'm going to disintegrate your unified tongue and I'm going to splinter it out across the globe. And the ethnicities and the groups and the, the tongues were spread from there. Now, as a reversal of Babel, God says, I'm coming down to you. And in your multiplicity of languages, I'm going to speak the same gospel message to you in your own language, in your own culture, in your own way, in your own time. We don't have to learn Greek, it's helpful, but you don't have to learn Greek to get saved, to believe and understand in Jesus. You don't have to learn Aramaic or Hebrew. You need to just believe in Jesus for this Romans 1.16. I'm not ashamed of this gospel message for it is the power of salvation to everyone who believes, everyone. To the Jew first, yes, they are first, but then also to the Greek, that means everyone else. 
This is now the speaking of tongues. I don't believe this in Acts 2 in particular is incoherent babbling. Rather, this word tongue is an, an older way of just saying languages. And specifically here, languages is constantly pushed into your face, where you're constantly pushed to see that there are a variety of languages being spoken at the same time, and everybody is understanding the same message in their own language. And yet this is a spiritual miracle, power of the Spirit, and really, it's not that complicated when they were all of a sudden be able to speak languages that they had not previously learned. They could preach God's mighty works and gospel message in, let's just say, Mandarin, in Spanish, in Swahili, in Hindi, in Arabic, Russian, Bengali, Portuguese, French, Punjabi, German, Japanese, Persian, Vietnamese, Italian, Korean, Somali, Burmese, Tamil, Thai, Hungarian, Aramaic, Greek, Hebrew, and English and Bostonian, right? <laughs> Wicked awesome, right? This message of the gospel now going, yes, to these nations. Maybe you aren't familiar with them, but I'm sure you were familiar with some of the ones that would go out from there. For it is from this place that it goes in Jerusalem then to Ju Judea and Samaria, then to the ends of the earth, from Antioch and out to the, outward to the globe to Jaffa, New Hampshire, right? John Stott says, at Babel, human languages were confused. Nations were scattered. And at Babel, earth proudly, uh, proudly tried to ascend to heaven. But whereas G God in Jerusalem, heaven humbly descends to earth. The sign here is that he supernaturally overcomes the complicated uh, languages and speaks to God in our own tongues. And I love this. There's so many preaching points on this that we don't have time. But this, this concept is so important for us to grasp. We can so easily get into our American elitist kinds of ways of seeing ourselves. Y the, but yet this idea is so important to recognize the global multi-ethnic culture of the gospel. That God speaks to you today in English, but he's also speaking to someone in the same manner in Spanish. And he's speaking to someone in Chinese on the other side of the globe. Acts 2 tells us this. All these nations here are mentioned. But then we also see it spread to others. The language of our own. I yes, English, but also the, my own language. Not just the English of a hundred years ago, but my English. The English that I speak in 2023. God speaks to me in that. Right? He speaks to you in, you don't have to go to seminary, get a degree in order, right? That God speaks to you. Whether you have a, a vast vocabulary and know all the, the theological terms or you are a simple child with the faith of a child, God speaks to you in your language. You don't have to learn, you don't have to learn Arabic in order to come and truly understand the Quran and become Muslim and live a certain way. He speaks to you in your culture, in your way, in your time. And this is reflects revelation when every nation from all tribes, languages, and tongues will be singing and praising God with a loud voice. Salvation belongs to God and to the Lamb who sits on the throne. And so as we kind of bring this to a close, this concept is so important for what we see here is that in Acts chapter 2, this Pentecost, this pouring out of the Spirit upon Jewish faithful believers there. And then they take that message and go out from Jerusalem of Pentecost to their places. But in order so that we would not feel undone or feel like we've been left out, God makes sure to pour out his spirit in special, important ways in other areas to make sure that all groups rem are reminded that this spirit is not just for people in Jerusalem, but this place is also for people in Samaria. Samaritans and Jews didn't get along. Samaritans were not well-loved. They're an ostracized group. 
But in Acts chapter 8, there is a similar Pentecost moment where the Spirit is poured out in Acts chapter 8 upon the Samaritans to the point where some of the disciples are like, I'm not really sure if this happened. We've got to send a delegation out there to see if it really took place. Philip and others go to Samaria and they're like, wow, the Spirit has fallen on them too. And then we see an Ethiopian eunuch, take that, in, in Acts 8. We also see in, in Acts chapter 10 what some would call this Gentile Pentecost in the sense that the gospel comes to Cornelius and Gentiles there that receive an outpouring of the Spirit and are baptized in this faith. And they preach the gospel, prophesy, speak in tongues, these ways of speaking it, the works of the mighty, God, mighty works of God. And then in Acts 19, we see John the Baptist has these disciples who have not heard of Jesus and the Spirit. And Paul preaches Jesus to them, and they receive the Spirit. And so what I love about this is we see in Acts 2, it come to Jerusalem. We see it spread out, as Acts 1 would say, to Judea and Samaria. In Acts 10, to the ends of the earth and the Gentiles. In Acts 19, to those who have been ostracized and are not aware. To them, we see them, original John the Baptist followers, but aren't sure with all these things. Now they receive. And then we come to the very end of Acts. Acts chapter 28. Acts chapter 28, verse 25 in closing, says this. He lived there two whole years at his own expense. This is Paul. He's at house arrest. The very last two verses of Acts. As we've seen the spirit move throughout the globe, Paul has been preaching as a missionary. We come to him in house arrest and he says in verse 30, he lived there in this place for two whole years at his own expense. Welcomed all who came to him. Verse 31 of Acts 28. What was Paul doing? He was proclaiming the kingdom of God. He was teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Or some would say in translations, without hindrance or an unhindered message. This is this concept of a bold message that is being preached without hindrance. And for me, I've always seen the ending of Acts, instead of a period where the story ends, it is now an ellipsis, dot, dot, dot. For the camera, it's almost like it's a movie, like, this without hindrance, that Paul is sitting there down, maybe he's having coffee, and he has people gather around him, and he's drinking coffee, and he's telling them about the kingdom of God and the person of Jesus Christ, and this gospel message that has changed his life, and he hopes will change theirs. It's like the camera zooms in on Paul, and then as many movies do at the end, the, the camera pans out, right, and pans out, and you're like, that you're waiting for the credits to roll, right, and the camera gets further away, Paul's speaking, and then, shoom, the camera zooms in on the island of Crete, and you come to this person named Titus, and Titus is doing the same thing. He's sitting down for coffee with someone else, and Titus says this. You know, I have a mentor of mine. His name was Paul. He wrote me this letter. I want to read it to you. It's about all the things that have happened. And Titus turns to his own letter, Titus chapter 3. And he says this. You see, when we were once foolish, you know, he's sharing the gospel with someone else. We were disobedient. We were led astray, hated by others and hating one another. But, this is pretty cool, when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. He saved me. He can save you. Not because of works done by us in righteousness. No, no, no. But according to his own mercy. And then get this. What does Titus say, given by Paul to this moment? By the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Then, as he says those words to this person, the screen goes black. 
But instead of saying the end, as all these movies do, right? It, it's, it, the credits begin to roll and it says to be continued. And, and I like to think in my own strange kind of way that that camera would go from Crete and it would zoom through the chapters of his, history and it would hover above us today and it would look down upon us as a movie theater would and it would see a similar message being preached, the same message, the same spirit, the same gospel that Jesus came, that he died that he rose again and he's alive today and that his spirit lives in you and is transforming you each and every day and that he's given you this power to share with others who are still living in a body of death and have not passed off of the old man and have not stepped on this new life that there's waiting for them if only they would believe that this gospel message has been transcending history for over 2,000 years and before. The spirit of Pentecost blows into like a mighty rushing wind, and it is here today. The power is here today to Jews, Samaritans, Gentiles, and to Americans like you and me. To the ends of the earth, the dam is broken wide open so that the spirit of God can zoom in on you tomorrow morning, perhaps. When it's busy, life is stressful, perhaps you're going through a hard time, and you wake up early because you don't know what to do, and you open up your Bible. Say, Lord, speak to me. I need you today. This isn't a message for hundreds of years ago, but a message for you today that the Spirit of God can speak to you through his word, encourage you, guide you, direct you, help you. This power is here. It has not gone out, though we might think at times it has, that this Spirit of God, this church of Christ that was born, the Spirit that lit the flame. This is a gospel truth of old that shall not kneel, it shall not faint. It continues in you, continues in me, today and tomorrow until he returns. And that's why partly we come to the table because we remind ourselves that Jesus died. His body was broken for you. His blood was shed for you. And yet that message now lives in you. And we're unified as one family to go out from this place because you're going to leave in a few minutes and you're going to leave with the message of the gospel, the person of Jesus Christ, the power of the Spirit that came to us then and is in us now and is working to transform the world as we wait for his return. Let us close in prayer. Father, we come before you. We thank you, Lord, for your truth. We come before your communion table to close this service, and we're reminded by the importance of it. God, we are reminded that you love us, that you are good, and we thank you, Lord, for your truth. Teach us about the awareness of this gospel, the awareness of your spirit. Help us not to miss this power, but to recognize that you are alive and you are living within us today. God, we thank you for your truth. We thank you for the church. We thank you for these people here today. Life is busy and crazy sometimes, but thank you for these, these people. Thank you for these kids, these children who are coming into this community. God, may you love them and bless them and keep them in Jesus' name. Amen.